Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Salallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma iftah alayna bi hikmatik wa anshur alayna bi rahmatik ya adhal jalali wal ikram. Ya alimu alimna min ilmika ma tarda bihi anna wa la tuakhidna bima ta'alamuhu minna ya halimu khaliqna bi khuliqin hin wa haqiqna bi haqaqin in. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma alamtana innaka antana alim al-hakim. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So we're reading, we're continuing in Riyadh al-Saliheen, the hadith collection of Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah ta'ala. And <coughs> we left off on hadith number 21, which is the famous story of the repentance of Ka'b ibn Malik, radiallahu an, after the battle of Tabuk. So we said last time that we stopped here because it's an extremely long hadith. And probably like this hadith might take us the whole day today. So... Uh, inshallah It will be sufficient It's more than enough in and of itself So I'm going to just start And I'll break at the appropriate times uh, To make comments So he says Abdullah bin Ka'b Who served as the guide of Ka'b bin Malik Radiallahu an When he became blind Narrated I heard Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu an narrating the story of his remaining behind instead of joining the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he left for the Battle of Tabuk. Ka'b said. Okay, so this is the Battle of Tabuk and Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu an stayed behind in the time of this battle. And it was, uh, you'll see the story of it. Kaab says, I accompanied the Messenger of Allah in every expedition which he undertook excepting the Battle of Tabuk and the Battle of Badr. As for the Battle of Badr, nobody was blamed for remaining behind as Messenger of Allah and Muslims when they set out had in mind only to intercept the caravan of the Quraysh. So in Badr they weren't going out to a battle, they were going out to intercept the caravan and it turned into a battle. So he's saying nobody was blamed for being left behind at Badr. It was a great honor if they were part of Badr, but if they missed it, they weren't accountable for it. They weren't blamed for it. Allah made them confront their enemies unexpectedly. I had the honor of being with the Messenger of Allah وسلم, on the night of Aqaba when we pledged our allegiance to Islam and it was dearer to me than participating in the Battle of Badr, although Badr was more well known among the people than that. So that's the pledge that they made, the Ansar made with the Prophet ﷺ that preceded the immigration to, Me- to Medina. Right? So when they came to the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, a number of them gave their pledge to him that they would support him, and that's what uh, leads up to the immigration to Medina. And this is the account of my staying behind from the Battle of Tabuk. I never had better means and more favorable circumstances than at the time of this expedition. So one of the big things about this whole story of what happened with Ka'b ibn Malik is that what saved him in the end and he's showing you it right in the beginning is what what saved him what saved him was his honesty was his honesty that he's saying look I had no excuse I had there was never any situation when I was better off than the situation that was leading up to the battle of Tabuk and still I didn't uh, do what I was supposed to do. But that's what saves him is his honesty. Even when he's telling the story, he's being honest, right? 
And by Allah, I had never before possessed two riding camels as I did during the time of this expedition. Whenever the Messenger of Allah وسلم, decided to go on a campaign, he would not disclose his real destination to the last moment of departure. But on this expedition, he set out in extremely hot weather. The journey was long and the terrain was waterless desert, and he had to face a strong army. So he informed the Muslims about the actual position so that they should make full preparation for the campaign. So you see this also is an important lesson. There was the way that he normally did things, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then there was a way that he did things in this exceptional circumstance. So when the circumstance was exceptional, he gave them extra information. He and this is kind of like the way it is, you know. Part of when you're, uh, is like understanding when I need to give more information and when I can give less information. So he understood here, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that here he needs to tell them more. And the Muslims who accompanied the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at that time were in large number, but no proper record of them was maintained. Kaab further said, Few were the persons who chose to remain absent, believing that, that they could easily hide themselves and thus remain undetected. And thus revelation from Allah, the exalted and glorious, revealed, was revealed relating to them. So a few people stayed behind thinking like, only a few though. They were like, we're not get, everyone's going, you know, we won't get noticed. The Messenger of Allah set out on this expedition when the fruit were ripe and their shade was sought. It's a beautiful expression. The fruit were ripe and their shade was sought. I had a weakness for them. And it was during this season that the Messenger of Allah and the Muslims made preparations. I also would set out in the morning to make preparations along with them, but would come back having done nothing and said to myself, I have means enough to make preparations as soon as I like. So he kept putting it off, kept procrastinating, putting it off. And I went on doing this till the time of departure came and it was in the morning that the Messenger of Allah set out with the, with, uh, along with the Muslims. But I had made no preparations. I would go early in the morning and come back with no decision. I went on doing so until they, had, until they hastened and covered a good deal of distance. So now they've left and he's still left behind. And he's saying, I can still get ready whenever I want. I can still catch up whenever I want. But the distance is getting further and further and further. Then I wished to march on and join them. Would that I had done that. But perhaps it was not destined for me. After the departure of the Messenger of Allah them, whenever I went out, I was grieved to find no good example to follow, but confirmed hypocrites or weak people whom Allah had exempted. So he's saying, I'm left behind now. And then I would go out. And I'd hope like maybe someone else was left behind too, that was someone that I can like feel good about. <laughs> but the only people that were left were people that we knew to be hypocrites. And people who were weak and they, they weren't supposed to go out in the first place. Like maybe they had a, whatever issue. They were old, they were sick, they had a disability, whatever. So he's like, uh-oh. The Messenger of Allah made no mention of me until he reached Tabuk. When, while he was sitting with the people in Tabuk, he said, what happened to Ka'b ibn Malik? So he knew. Because yeah, he knows him, right? He's from the people of the Aqaba. He's been in all the battles. So they get to Tabuk and he's like, he gives, really, he's not asking, he's giving him chances. He can still catch up, he can still catch up, he can still catch up. Finally, they get to Tabuk, he said, what happened to Kaab? <coughs> A person from Banu Salima said, mm, uh, said, O Messenger of Allah, the beauty of his cloak and an appreciation of his finery have detained me. So they said basically like, you know, 
things were nice, he didn't want to come. Upon this, Mu'adh ibn Jabal admonished him and said to the Messenger of Allah, By Allah, we know nothing about him but good. See the different responses? This is a very important issue. Very, it's very relevant actually. It's a very important issue. Very relevant issue. Which is, someone who's known to have done good, stayed behind. He made a mistake. Someone who was known to have done a lot of good, made a mistake. When the Prophet ﷺ asked what happened, one person's response was immediately to assume what? To assume bad. The other person's response was, we don't know anything but good from him. It's not to say that it was acceptable what he did. But he's just saying, we don't know anything but good from him. So he's saying, like, just stop it. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, however, kept quiet. At that time, he saw a person dressed in white and said, Be Abu Khaythama. And, was, uh, and it was Abu Khaythama al-Ansari was... Uh, Abu Khaytham al-Ansari was the person who had contributed a saw of dates and was ridiculed by the hypocrites. So basically he was a person who had given like a little bit of charity but the hypocrites made fun of him because it was so small. And the Prophet ﷺ, he came and he sang, may it be him and it was him. Ka'b ibn Malik further said, when the news reached me that the Messenger of Allah was on his way back from Tabuk, I was greatly distressed. I thought of fabricating an excuse and asked myself how I would save myself from his anger the next day. It's a very important inner conversation that's going on, right? Because making excuses is a very common practice. Very, very common practice. And it's something that I think all of us should be very wary about. Because some people, no matter what happens, they have an excuse. No matter what. You know? It's like, really? How did you come up with an excuse for that one? Every single thing, they have an excuse. So he says, and, and that's, it's sometimes, you know, there are people like that, subhanAllah. <laughs> None of them are here. <laughs> Allah protect all of us. <laughs> he said, I thought of fabricating the excuse and asked myself how I would save myself from his anger the next day. In this connection, I sought the counsel of every prudent member of my family. So see what he did? He sought counsel too. He was like, okay, I'm in this situation and I'm worried about the anger of the Prophet them. And I could come up with an excuse, but this is a big decision. I don't want to make this decision by myself. Let me ask people... So he took the, every prudent member of his family, which is not every member of his family, right? And when you take counsel, you take counsel from people who, who are worthy of counsel, uh, not just because they're your friend or something. When I was told that the Messenger of Allah was about to arrive, all the wicked ideas vanished from my mind, and I came to the conclusion that nothing but the truth could save me. So now he's like, okay, the Prophet is here. Forget all this stuff. It's the Prophet. I can't, what am I going to do? Only the truth can save me. So I decided to tell him the truth. It was in the morning that the Messenger of Allah arrived in Medina and it was his habit that whenever he came back from a journey he would first go to the masjid and perform two rak'ah and then would sit with the people. So that was the way he would, that's how he comes back. By the way, I was doing some research because of the Umrah trip and uh, the, the masjid of the Prophet وسلم, when he built it was about 3,400 square feet. 3,400 square feet. <laughs> Roughly. Huh? So people have houses bigger than that. By the end of his life, when they remodeled it, it was about like 8,000 square feet. 3,400 square feet. His hujurat, his the, the studios, studio apartments that his wives lived in, 64 square feet. 64 square feet studios. 
kitchen, <laughs> everything, 64 square feet, with like a little backyard space that they would, uh, subhanAllah. No, this room is bigger than that, I think. It's probably like twice the size of it, at least. Uh, <coughs> anyways, so he decided to tell him the truth. It was his habit that he would go back, he would pray to Raka, and then he would go sit in the masjid. And people would come. When he sat, those who had remained behind him began to put forward their excuses and take an oath before him. So they would come, and they would give their excuse, and the Prophet ﷺ would accept their excuse, and they would renew their oath with him. No? <coughs> they were more than 80 in number. They were more than 80 in number. The Messenger of Allah ﷺ accepted their excuses on the very face of them, and accepted their allegiance and sought forgiveness for them, and left their insides to Allah until I appeared before him. So those people, most of them are hypocrites. <laughs> the Prophet ﷺ doesn't care. Like, okay, come, do your thing, whatever, no big deal. Your mistake, whatever, I don't care about your mistake. When Kaab comes, it's a different conversation. Okay? So he says, until I appeared before him, I greeted him and he smiled and there was a tinge of anger in that. Tabassam al-Mughdabi. Tabassam al-Mughdab is the wording in the hadith. He did the smile of the person who's angry. So he smiled, but you can <laughs> like, uh-oh. He then said to me, come forward. I went forward and I sat in front of him. He said to me, what kept you back? Could you not afford to go in for a ride? I said, O Messenger of Allah, by Allah, if I were to sit before anybody else, a man of the world, I would have definitely saved myself from his anger on one pretext or the other. And I have a gifted skill in argumentation. But by Allah, I am fully aware that if I were to put forward before you a lame excuse to please you, Allah would definitely provoke your wrath upon me. In case I speak the truth, you may be angry with me, but I hope that Allah would be pleased with me. By Allah, there is no valid excuse for me. By Allah, I never possessed so good means, and I never had such favorable conditions for me as I had when I stayed behind. Look at this statement. SubhanAllah. Thereupon the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, This man spoke the truth, so get up and wait until Allah gives a decision about you. He told the truth And what did he say in the end He said I'm going to tell the truth And I hope that Allah will forgive me So he said he spoke the truth Now get up and wait for Allah's conclusion This is the thing that I was looking for uh, <coughs> I left and some people of Banu Salima Followed me So this is the same people right The same ones that said before that his clothing and his things kept him behind. It's the same people, people from Banu Salima. So some of them followed me. They said to me, By Allah, we do not know that you committed a sin before. You, however, showed inability to put forward an excuse before the Messenger of Allah like those who stayed behind. It would have been enough for the forgiveness of your sin that the Messenger of Allah would have sought forgiveness for you. By Allah, they kept on reproaching me until I thought of going back to the Messenger of Allah and retracting my confession. Then I said to them, has anyone else met the same fate? So look at these people giving him bad advice again, right? Giving him bad advice until he's questioning it. Should I go back? And Then I asked, did anyone else have the same fate? They said, yes, two persons have met the same fate. They made the same statement as you did, and the same verdict was delivered in their case. I asked, who are they? They said, Murara ibn Rabi' al-Amri and Hilal ibn Umayyah al-Waqifi. They mentioned these two pious men who had taken part in the battle of Badr and there was an example for me in them. I was confirmed in my original resolve. So he's like, at least these people from Badr, they did what I did, 
um, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is the right course. Even in the mistake, he had good company, right? SubhanAllah. And the good company kept him firm. The Messenger of Allah prohibited the Muslims to talk to the three of us from amongst those who had stayed behind. The people began to avoid us and their attitude towards us changed and it seemed as if the whole atmosphere had turned against us. And it was in fact the same atmosphere of which I was fully aware and in which I had lived. So he's saying like, the Prophet told the people not to speak to us. It's just them three. Those three, nobody's speaking to them. So they're living in Medina. And it's the same place where they always lived, but now it's as if Medina's closed in around them. It's as if it's a whole different place. Because the circumstances have changed, right? We spent 50 nights in this very state, and my two friends confined themselves within their houses and spent most of their time weeping. As I was the youngest and the strongest, I would listen. What he does is so amazing. Look at what he says here. He says, As I was the youngest and the strongest, I would leave my house, attend the congregational salat, move about in the bazaars, but none would speak to me. So he'd be going out like trying to get anyone to speak to him and no one would do it. He said, I would come to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, as he sat amongst the people after Salat, greet him and I would ask myself whether or not his lips moved in response to my greetings. So he would come and he would say salam and he watched the mouth of the Prophet وسلم, to see is his, are his lips moving at least? Even if he can't say anything, at least are his lips moving? Then I would perform my salat near him and look at him stealthily. When I finished my salat, he would look at me and when I would cast a glance at him, he would turn his eyes away. When the harsh treatment of the Muslims to me continued for a considerable length of time, I walked and I climbed upon the wall of the garden of Abu Qatada, who was my cousin, and I had a great love for him. I greeted him, but by Allah he did not answer my greeting. I said to him, O Abu Qatada, I adjure you in the name of Allah. Are you not aware that I love Allah and His Messenger? I asked him the same question again, but he remained silent. I again adjured him, whereupon he said, Allah and His Messenger know better. My eyes were filled with tears, and I came back climbing down the wall. As I was walking in the bazaars of Al-Medina, a man from the Syrian peasants who had come to sell food grains in Al-Medina asked people to direct him to Kaaba bin Malik. People pointed towards me. He came to me and delivered a letter from the king of Ghassan. And as I was a scribe, I read that letter whose purport was, It has been conveyed to us that your friend, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, was treating you harshly. Allah has not created you for a place where you are to be degraded and where you cannot find your right place. So come to us and we shall receive you graciously. Listen to this. Isn't that a fitna? SubhanAllah. They knew him. He was a scribe. People knew him. So they got the news that he was being treated bad, so they sent him a letter saying, forget them, come with us. Forget Islam, forget the Prophet forget all that stuff, come with us, you should be treated right. As I read that letter, I said, this too is a trial. So I put, to fire, I put it to fire in an oven, he burned it immediately. When 40 days had elapsed and the Messenger of Allah received no revelation, there came to me a messenger of the Messenger of Allah and said, Verily, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has commanded you to keep away from your wife. So 40 days is an, inter 40 is an interesting number. It has significance. It says 40, 40 days passed, there's no ruling. So now the Prophet وسلم, tells him, stay away from your wife too. I said, should I, divorce her? should I divorce her or what else should I do? He said, no, but only keep away from her and don't have sexual contact with her. The same message was sent to my companions. So I said to my wife, you better go to your parents and stay there until Allah gives the decision in my case. The wife of Hilal ibn Umayyah came to the Messenger of Allah and said, O Messenger of Allah, Hilal ibn Umayyah is a senile person and has no servant. Do you disapprove if I serve him? 
He's an old man, can't take care of himself. Is it okay if I serve him? Uh, do you have a problem if I serve him? He said, no, but don't let him have any sexual contact with you. She said, by Allah, he has no such desire left in him. By Allah, he has been in tears since the calamity struck him. Members of my family said to me, you should have sought permission from the Messenger of Allah in regard to your wife. He has allowed the wife of Hilal ibn Umayyah to serve him. I said, I would not seek permission from the Messenger of Allah, for I do not know what the Messenger of Allah might say in response to that, as I am a young man. So he's saying, our situation is not the same, I'm not going to push it. I don't know what he's going to say, I'm not going to push it. I'm leaving it as it is. And so again, it's honest, right? It's a very honest response. It was in this state that I spent 10 more nights, and thus 50 days had passed since people boycotted us and gave up talking to us. After I had offered my Fajr prayer on the early morning of the 15th, 50th day of this boycott on the roof of one of our houses, and had sat in the very state which Allah described as, the earth seemed constrained for me despite its vastness. Daqat aliyya. Daqat aliyya al-ard. It's as if the earth was closed in upon him. I heard the voice of a proclaimer from the peak of the hill shouting at the top of his voice. Okay. O Ka'b ibn Malik, rejoice. I fell down in prostration and came to know that there was a message of relief for me. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, had informed the people about the acceptance of our repentance by Allah after he had offered the Fajr prayer. So the people went on to, to give us glad tidings and some of them went to my companions in order to give them the glad tidings. A man spurred his horse towards me to give the good news and another one from the tribe of Aslam came running for the same purpose. And as he approached the mount, I received the good news, which reached me before the writer did. When, one, when the one whose voice I had heard came to congratulate me, I took off my garments and gave them to him for the good news he brought me. This is really interesting, right? So first of all, when the good news came, they rushed. They were competing to see who can take him the good news first. Now who's going to get him the good news first? And he says, and then the one whose voice reached him and he heard about it first from that person, when that person got to him, he took off his garments, his outer garments, obviously, right? Took off his outer garments and he gave them to him as like a gift of, of joy. Then I borrowed two garments, dressed myself. And he said, I possess nothing else in the form except these garments at that time. So <laughs> by Allah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you remember what he said before that? When, he went to the, when it was time for the battle, he said, I had never had any better means. I had two camels, I had the fruits, I had all these things. He had one outfit. Ansar. Yeah. From Aqaba. So he says, <coughs> he gave him the garment, he didn't have anything else. He was a person of means. So he was a person of means. He gave him the garment, he didn't have anything else. Then I borrowed two garments, dressed myself, and came to the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. On my way, I met groups of people who greeted me for the acceptance of repentance, and they said, Congratulations for acceptance of your repentance. I reached the mosque where the Messenger of Allah was sitting amidst people. Talha ibn Ubaidullah got up and rushed towards me, shook hands with me, and greeted me. By Allah, no person stood up from amongst the Muhajireen besides him. Kaab said that he never forgot this good gesture of Talha. Isn't that interesting? So when he came, Talha stood up and greeted him. From the Muhajireen, nobody else got up. And that, 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 that gesture that Talha did, he says he never forgot it. Kaab said that he never forgot this good gesture of Talha. Kaab further said, I greeted the Messenger of Allah with Assalamu Alaikum, and his face was beaming with pleasure. He said, Rejoice with the best day you have ever seen since your mother gave you birth. 
I said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, is this good news from you or from Allah? Look at his concern. <coughs> o oh, Messenger of Allah, is this good news from you or from Allah? He said, no, it is from Allah. And it was common with the Messenger of Allah that whenever he was happy, his face would glow as if it were a part of the moon. And it was from that this that we recognized it, his delight. As I sat before him, I said, I have placed a condition upon myself that if Allah accepts my tawbah, I would give up all of my property and charity for the sake of Allah and his Messenger. Thereupon the Messenger of Allah said, keep some property with you as it is better for you. I said, I shall keep with me that portion which is in Khaybar. I added, O Messenger of Allah, verily Allah has granted me salvation because of my truthfulness, and therefore repentance obliges me to speak nothing but the truth as long as I am alive. Kaab added, By Allah, I do not know anyone among the Muslims who has been granted truthfulness better than me since I said this to the Prophet. By Allah, since the time I made a pledge of this to the Messenger of Allah, I have never intended to tell a lie, and I hope that Allah would protect me for the rest of my life. Allah, the Exalted, the Glorious, revealed these verses. Allah has forgiven the Prophet, the Muhajirun, and the Ansar who followed him in the time of distress, the Tabuk expedition. After the hearts of a party of them had nearly deviated, but he accepted their repentance. Certainly he is unto them full of kindness, most merciful. And he did also forgive the three who did not join, till for them, until, uh, did not join, till for them the earth, vast as it is, was straightened, and their own selves were straightened to them, and they perceived that there is no fleeing from Allah, and no refuge but with him. Then he forgave them, that they might beg for his pardon. Verily, Allah is one who forgives and accepts repentance, most merciful. O you who believe, be afraid of Allah and be with those who are true. This is the verse. Uh, <coughs> I don't know why. Where is it in the Arabic over here? Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu taqullaha wa kunu ma'as-sadiqeen. I can't find it on the Arabic side for some reason, but I know it's there in the Hadith. Kaab said, By Allah, since Allah guided me to Islam, there has been no blessing more significant for me than this truth of mine which I spoke to the Messenger of Allah. And if I were to tell a lie, I would have been ruined, as were ruined those who had told lies. For Allah described those who told lies with the worst description He ever attributed to anybody else as He sent down the revelation. They will swear by Allah to you when you return to them that you may turn away from them. So turn away from them. Surely they are impure. And hell is their dwelling place, a recompense for what they for that which they used to earn. They, the hypocrites, swear to you that you may be pleased with them. But if you are pleased with them, certainly Allah is not pleased with the people who are fasiqun, who are rebellious. So this is the description of those people. It's the description of those people that he was almost amongst them, but he didn't do it. Kaab further added, the matter of the three of us remained pending for decision apart from the case of those who had made excuses on oath before the Messenger of Allah and he accepted those, took fresh oaths of allegiance from them and supplicated for their forgiveness. The Messenger of Allah kept our matter pending till Allah decided it. The three whose matter was deferred have been shown mercy. The reference here is not to our staying back from the expedition, but to his delaying our matter and keeping it pending beyond the matter of those who made their excuses on oath, which he accepted. Okay, so that's basically that. There's one other narration that adds, the Messenger of Allah set out for Tabuk on Thursday. He used to prefer to set out on journey on Thursday. 
Another version says the Messenger of Allah used to come back from a journey in the early forenoon and went straight to the masjid where he would perform two rakat. Afterwards, he would seat himself there. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. I think that hadith is sufficient. So we'll stop here and continue next time. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.